Hello, once again, welcome back to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. I'm your co-host, Jack Neflin. And joining us this week, we have... History prefers legends to men, <laughs> and prefers nobility to brutality, soaring speeches to quiet deeds. History remembers the battle, but forgets the blood. If it remembers anything of me at all, as a podcast lawyer, podcast president, it will be only a fraction of the truth. Mike Knoll. Hello. <laughs> That was all from memory, too. One that was to prove to myself I could do it. <laughs> so, as you may have guessed, if you have a remarkably comprehensive knowledge of Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter... Or you've looked at the episode art for this episode. Or that. Then we're talking about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, and also Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. This is our Seth Graham Smith doubles feature. Which came about because I messaged Jackson when the Monster Movie Bracket was announced, saying, I demand to be on a bonus episode where we talk about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. And then we realized Pride and Prejudice and Zombies also would fit, and it was by the same guy. So, And they are a pretty solid double feature. I would agree. You can definitely see the shared DNA between them, but they are also very different films. One is hewing more towards historical alt fiction, and one is hewing more towards parody of a well-known work. Yeah. Like, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, for all of his goofiness, has a kind of reverentiality and artistry to the way it adapts things, whereas Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is very gleeful in what it changes. Wait, which one's alt history? Abraham Lincoln Vampire. No, that's a biopic. <laughs> You're talking about the Daniel Day-Lewis Lincoln movie, which was the alt history. <laughs> Blood's been spilled to afford us this moment. Now! 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 And you grousel and heckle and dodge about like... Petty-fogging Tammany Hall hucksters, see what is before you. Which came out the exact same summer. <laughs> that is factually true. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, and Lincoln came out the exact same summer, and I took no amount of endless joy in correcting people that the more historically accurate film was Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. Because <laughs> I was that kind of person. Do we need to do summaries? Because one is... Adapted from the... I can, I can do a summary if you like. Okay, sure. So Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is basically Abraham Lincoln, but what if vampires <laughs> were the cause of everything? Uh, Pride and Prejudice Zombies is basically, what if Pride and Prejudice, but everything is zombies? I, I don't mean to be flippant, but that's pretty much the... Yeah, they follow their source material pretty closely for the most part. The movie Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter does skew a little bit farther astray than the book does, which is much more a looking at historical events and like actual writings of Abraham Lincoln and sewing in the idea of he actually was like referencing the secret war with the vampires as the cause of everything. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies just slap zombies right on top of Pride and Prejudice. And that's not to say that that was a worse decision. It's just much more of a also here's zombies where in the book at least abraham lincoln vampire hunter it's much more of like a deft weaving into mm -hmm. the the narrative there's of less, history there's less finesse with pride and prejudice and zombies and the film has of abraham lincoln and vampire hunter also has less finesse mm -hmm. because it needs to be a movie it's not going to be lincoln but with vampires also yeah. which i would watch for sure abraham lincoln vampire hunter kind of reminds me of any given superhero origin story type movie like it has that same mm -hmm. kind of structure the mentor the twist the the big bad all that jazz the fridged mom the fridging bothers me less here because abraham lincoln's mom did in fact die historically mm -hmm. so that's canon yeah <laughs> but just again what if vampires right we did watch abraham lincoln vampire hunter first and it did come out first so why don't we go ahead and start with there sure also mike i believe you have some tomatoes 
I do. Uh, for any new listeners who've never heard me on here before and have never heard any of my previous works, uh, I co-host a podcast called The Equalizers, where we take films that never got sequels or prequels, either because they're very good and they don't need one, or they're very bad and they don't deserve one. And a segment we have on there we call Daddy's Tomatoes. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a zombie in possession of brains must be in want of more brains. Where I find uh, Rotten Tomatoes reviews that are just over the top, either in for or against a film. And so I have a few here. The first one comes from NTCR, who gave this movie half a star. What a bad idea to use a president as a vampire hunter. I'm so sick of people using real presidents becoming vampire hunters and vampires turning invisible. The plot, horrible. The acting, not bad. The script, painful. The writing, average. The directing, not too entirely awful, but still could do better. Everything altogether, mostly bad. Words to describe, pitiful, bad, slight, horrendous, boring, unbearable, and meh. Score, 4 out of 10. But half a star. (laughs) But also rated writing and the script differently. Mm-hmm. Writing, average. The script, painful. They're exclamation <laughs> points, which is why I'm putting in the inflection. <laughs> I kind of love this person. This is a delightful writing style. The number of people who have their own breakdown rating systems, not on this, just in general mm-hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes, is wild. Madison and I on Equalizers, there's one person we've had twice who gives an emoji rating also, or like an emoticon rating as part of their whole thing. It's wild. Some of the people on there are ridiculous. What other works of historical fiction include presidents as vampire hunters? Yeah, exactly. There's maybe an episode of Star Trek. Well, uh, Pause Nation, at Gratuitous Pausing, with any examples you know of presidents who become vampire hunters. (laughs) Consuela N. chimes in with another half-star review. This movie is so shit, even I couldn't clean it. That's it. End of review. And then Caitlin J. gave this one star and has uh, mirrors the sentiment we've already heard. Just a bad idea to use a U.S. president in a story with vampires, especially a famous president such as Abraham Lincoln. It is stupid that silver kills vampires. Wouldn't stakes kill vampires or just cut off their head? Also not happy with the idea of using presidents as vampire hunters and then the... Um, I guess physics of vampire hunting. I love that, like, especially like a famous president. <laughs> yeah. Like no one would care if it was like Rutherford B. Hayes. Benjamin Harrison, vampire hunter. All for it. <laughs> what Taft? is your favorite president, Jackson, that no one's heard of? I was going to say like Taft goes into the shaft. Oh my god. <laughs> now all I want is like a shaft parody, but it's Taft. Yeah. <laughs> Just talking about Taft. <laughs> we can dig it. So those are all the tomatoes I have for Abraham Lincoln. Helps us by introducing a few vampire rules. They can go invisible. Uh, silver kills them. Didn't you get into the whole weird thing where vampires cannot kill other vampires? Although they can bite each other. Oh, so I figured that out. Um, they can't kill each other, but they can do sex to each other. And so biting can be sexy or murdery. As long as it's sexy biting, it's fine. Picture your opponent naked and then you can fight them. So what you're saying is Henry had to have a boner to bite that guy at the climax of the film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I imagine it's more like in any alien or monster movie where something's under the skin and you try to stab it and it like moves very much. It's like the, the vital veins just kind of like move out of the way of the things <laughs> as he butts in. <laughs> I do have some bones to pick with the way that the vampires in this film work. They don't really explain why all the vampires are daywalkers. Like you see a little tin of sunscreen and all of the vampires we see are wearing sunglasses during the day, mm-hmm. but that's 
it. I assume they can go out in daylight naturally unless there's not really a problem. Or maybe they're a little sun sensitive. That doesn't bother me too much. I think it would have helped me get over it if, like, there was a line during, like, apes training with Henry's. Yeah, like, because of the industrial revolution and the creation of sunscreen now like we can widen our reach to during the day honestly having that one little throwaway line i think would have helped i think that would almost be the movie taking itself too seriously <laughs> I, I, I know what you're saying and i don't disagree i think much like i said of all the extraordinary gentlemen i feel like it abe is balanced so fine where like any attempt to make it a better film <laughs> makes it a worse movie <laughs> That's fair. There is this just inherent tension in the film between the desire to dive deep into all of the historical writings and from Abraham Lincoln's journals and explore how he became president and everything like that with all of these ridiculous <laughs> physics-defying action sequences, including a fight through a stampede of horses. One of the reviews that I found that I ended up cutting, because it wasn't that funny, did include the phrase about how that, the fight with the super horses, <laughs> which like that was serious, but it wasn't funny enough. But so yeah, like it's a friend of mine once described it as that's where Abraham Lincoln Vampire jumped the shark. Like luckily it came back down. <laughs> and that was kind of just the peak of it. But mm -hmm. I still think that they could have had a really good fight with just like a couple horses, the two of them on horseback fighting. Like, yeah, that would have been fine. We didn't <clears throat> need like an entire wild Mustang stampede. With Baron Quinn from Into the Badlands. Boys, there is no God in the Badlands. How do I know? If God does not feed you or clothe you or protect you, I do. Which no one else has seen, but I recognize him and it brings me great joy. You've also seen it, but also I ranted at you until you watched it. That's fair. If you're interested in it, uh, you should watch it. It's on Netflix, but also you can listen to it the Madman starring your friend of the podcast, Daniel Na. The other thing that kind of stands out to me about this film is the sort of stop-and-go nature of the pacing. Like, there are some mm. bits of Lincoln's history that we kind of just lie past, then it slows down, and then we fly past a bit more, and then it slows down again. Yeah, like, we get his mom dies, and his dad makes him promise not to do anything stupid, and we cut to him in a bar, and he's writing his journal, like, nine years later, he followed her into the grave, and it's just like, okay, I'm an adult now, I can go do it, the movie can continue. Mm -hmm. Then we kind of fly through his training with Henry, and then things slow down again when he gets to Springfield, and then they kind of pick back up again after they come back from New Orleans, and he decides, nope, I'm going to be a politician now. I mean, the stuff I fly through is the stuff that is more or less true to Lincoln's life, which I get. That was a reasonable choice. It does make the pacing a little off if you don't, like, know the Lincoln story. Honestly, an interesting thing to do would be to pair this with Lincoln and, like, all the things that they just breeze <laughs> through, replace with scenes from Lincoln. Oh, God. <laughs> so, like, it's a mashup kind of yeah. Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Vampire Hunter. Yeah. Oh, God. Abraham slash Lincoln. One thing I'll say, because I've reread the book recently, not anything to do with this, the recording of this episode, but I had reread it recently. The movie does a decent job of making things from the book also kind of work. There is a whole bit where Abraham Lincoln got engaged to Mary Todd Lincoln and then broke it off for seemingly no discernible reason. Mm -hmm. And then like later they got married. And there's a point where they're going to smooch outside her house and he like walks away from her. Mm -hmm. It's a nice way of tying in that plot point without making it like, hey, here's 20 more minutes of... <laughs> They're not going to get married, and now they're mad at each other. we got to get them back together. Like, mm -hmm. And again, that's a cut that like, if I hadn't reread the book recently, I never would have caught. And I'm also glad because like, we know that 
Abraham and Mary Todd are canon OTP. I don't need that to be dragged out with a narrative because I know that's going to become a thing down the line. No, there is one thing that I wish they had done. It wouldn't need to be an extended cut because in the book, Abraham Lincoln and Edgar Allan Poe become like best friends for a summer. Wait, really? Yeah, that happens in the book. (laughs) And he's also a vampire hunter, I guess, in England? No, Edgar Allan Poe was... He's a Baltimore native. Okay. I don't don't know how much about Edgar Allan Poe. We could cut in that one movie where Edgar Allan Poe was like doing that thing from Castle. Oh, The Raven? Yeah. I would definitely watch a film where Edgar Allan Poe became a vigilante called The Raven. That sounds great. Edgar Allan Poe. So how many different films have we pitched on this <laughs> while talking about Abraham Lincoln Vampire? TM, 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 TM. <laughs> a lot. Well, let's talk about slavery. That'll be fun. What do you want to talk about? Oh, I know. I just, I'm trying to like get us to that one scene. We know the one. Both of us made notes about it. <laughs> so Abe, his best friend from childhood, gets captured by vampires and brought to Louisiana. Yeah, like you do. And Abe and his other friend Joshua Speed, who just spends the whole movie not getting as much love as everyone else, which is a great bit I've only just picked up on recently of how no like everyone's like, oh, you're my best friend. And then you just see Speed in the background looking very sad. Um, anyway, they go down there to save him. And Abe is about to basically turn into a vampire. And they're going to kill uh, Will, uh, the played by Anthony Mackie. Mm-hmm. And... Speed just comes tearing into the plantation house on a carriage and basically Jackson and I both are on antebellum drifts on a like a blood patch and just takes out one of the head vampires, like sideswipes her with the horse and carriage. And I just I've never noticed how funny was that her whole body just like ragdolls away. Like, I'm not sure it would be strictly a better movie, but the part of it that wants to see the movie that is just mm-hmm. like that the whole time. Like the whole thing being, you know, Fast and the Furious 8 level of nonsense action. Or family speed. <laughs> family comes first but will comes before you <laughs> i apologize for my terrible Abraham Lincoln impression it sounds amazing in my head so it makes me laugh also anthony mackie doing great here he's having a lot of fun as as a like action hero that's the friend. first thing i ever saw him in a few people this is the first thing i ever saw them in dominic cooper oh Winstead. I can't remember her first name. She always married Todd Lincoln. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yeah. First thing I ever saw her in. She is great in this. There's a scene <clears throat> where she is pleading with Henry to turn her son into a vampire so he can live. And it, it is heart-wrenching. Oh, yeah. I know I shouldn't have, hey, but I needed to know what you were hiding. What you say is true. I beg you. Give us our little boy back. Mary, he wouldn't be our little boy. Something else, something terrible. Trust me, you don't want that. You're asking me to trust you. After you lied to me for all these years. I did it to protect you, to protect our family. And how did that work out? You took this him! You took this, you brought this on him! You brought this on our boy! I tell people this is like the one, I'll say good scene, like legitimately great scene. I mean, yeah. like, like by all standards, great scene. Everyone knows what kind of movie this is supposed to be, but for that scene, everybody's like, okay, we're going to do this part at yeah, full. She brings the house down. I still get yeah. chills. Mm-hmm. One other thing, though. I thought we were going to make this country great. That unfortunately has not aged well. It is no fault of the film. It came out in 2012. There's also a line that they use a lot, until all men are free, we are all slaves, which, like, as a sentiment, I understand what they're going for. Also, though, just, you really should stop saying that. Yeah. However, speaking of freedom, there is a line that does definitely hold up. Oh. What uh, do you want with me? 
to see you liberated. To see you rise up and destroy your oppressor. That's interesting advice coming from a slave owner. Men have enslaved each other since they invented gods to forgive them for doing it. It's like, oh, great line. And that's a very good, I am an immortal vampire kind of line. Like, that works really well to, like, deepen that character. Mm -hmm. With, um... Rufus Sewell reprising his character from A Knight's Tale because he'll never convince me that all of his characters aren't the same person because that man literally never ages. It's weird for him to claim that men invent gods when they are vampires who have objective magic rules placed upon them by presumably God. And, well, in Henry's backstory about why silver kills vampires. When Judas betrayed Jesus, his reward was 30 pieces of silver. At that moment, those pieces became a symbol of betraying God, of evil. And silver became a curse upon the cursed. Like he literally says God did this at one point. <laughs> what an odd, not very helpful thing to do, God. You could just no. not make vampires. Here's, here's the thing. Here's my no prize for it. Henry was trained as a vampire hunter and then got turned into a vampire by Adam so that he couldn't hunt them anymore. Mm -hmm. So presumably everything he knows about vampires comes from hunters and not from vampires. Mm -hmm. So it follows that his rhetoric... And the way they think about it is like, God did this. And in reality, the vampire's like, no, there's no such thing as that. What are you doing? Mm, I can see that. Our main antagonist says he's like thousands of years old. But you're so old. I don't know. The conflict seems so small for him to be so old. Is he just a really underachieving vampire? Yeah, I think the idea is that the most vampires just like want to stay in the shadows. And he's mm. one of the few who's like, no, we could like run things, gang. And this is finally the first time he's actually, like, getting traction. In the grand scheme of things, like, on a vampire timeline, America's still pretty new at this point. It's mm -hmm. not even 100 years old yet. Also, he says he's super old, and I'm, I'm assuming he's super old. He could be lying. Like, there's no one who can fact-check that. They do a really good job with making a lot of lighting in the scenes remind me a lot of paintings of this era. Like, they do, mm. like, very nice things with the color grading to kind of have this washed-out effect, but certain colors still more prominent, which I think is nice. During the day, we get, like, everything in these, like, brown sepia tones. And then at night, everything fades to that dull blue-gray color. Mm -hmm. I, I think that contrast is important because it's also, like, we're dealing with these two modes of Abraham Lincoln. During the day, he is this law student who eventually becomes president. At night, he's hunting vampires. Every time the actor who plays Abraham Lincoln isn't on screen, but somebody's looking at him, the person that they're talking about is looking up. And it's not that he's like, he's he's a decently tall man, but you know, Abraham like, was supposed to be like, gang, like super tall. And so I like this dynamic of, remember he's tall. It's like everybody's always just like looking up at him when he's not on screen. I mean, they do when he's on screen because he's taller than most of them, but mm -hmm. it's like when he's off screen, no matter who it is, they're just like looking up, mm -hmm. which I thought was a neat angle. Another thing I want to praise the film for is it does a really good job of capturing like the chaos of civil war battles mm -hmm. how much smoke is on the field during some of those they also incorporate vampire attacks and to, to just kind of bring home how bloody uh conflict it was one thing that does not work though is you get a lot of scenes of like vampires charging wearing sunglasses and sunglasses are sort of an inherently silly article of clothing i can't not look at them and think before all these confederates went into the battle they're like gentlemen we shall fight in the shades. I mean, it's almost as silly, but I love it as much as that scene in Arrow where they have a bow and arrow fight, but they're running at each other while shooting bow and arrows. <laughs> I think it's probably time for us to switch gears over to Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. And I did some research for this one. I listened to some of Pride and Prejudice on audiobook. 
I think it's a really enjoyable book. I, I know that's kind of a very much t- a taste thing, but there's a reason that it has been adapted so many times and has such like cultural prominence. It's it's a fun book. I also did some research. I read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies ten years ago. Oh wow. So. That was my research. That was it. I have done no research for this episode. Going into this watch session and this recording, all I knew beforehand was a vague trajectory of Abraham Lincoln's political career. Um, I do actually have a couple tomatoes for this one as well, if you're interested. Uh, Scott H. gave us one and a half stars. Besides some changes, it is Pride and Prejudice with zombies thrown in. So if you like Pride and Prejudice and also like zombies, you may enjoy it. But if you don't care for Pride and Prejudice but like zombies, just pass. You'll not be missing anything. I can't necessarily blame him for that, considering this came out in 2016, and we had a huge glut of zombie films at the time. I know, but I just love the idea of coming to see Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and the, the review is like, if you like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, you're probably going to like this movie. <laughs> like, what a hot take. What a hot take that one was. Fair enough. And then David P. gave us a half star. Yikes. I see what they were wanting to do, and I'm sure everyone involved had fun, but Yikes. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to respond to that. Yeah. Like, yes, everyone involved did have fun, and the movie is, in fact, fun. I know, I just love that. It's like, yikes. I'm sure everyone had fun, but yikes. So, quick summary. Prime Prejudice is about the Bennett family, who are a wealthy-ish, but not that wealthy family. And they're trying to arrange marriages such that they will, you know, have a good social standing after uh, the person who's going to inherit the farm that they live on does that thing. The protagonist, Elizabeth means a guy named Darcy. At first, they butt heads because they have their own flaws. They wind up what falling in love. Be? Well, one of them is pride. <laughs> the other one is prejudice. What? <laughs> the film is basically that thing that I just described. But uh, this is a world that has been living in a apocalypse for, what, like 50, 100 years or so? Some oh, amount. A while. All the Bene sisters are, instead of being trained in, like, needlepoint and the piano, are trained in, like, martial arts, weapons of war, and uh, they're seen as less well-off than their fellows because they're trained in China, not Japan. You, sir, have already put them at a decided social disadvantage by insisting they do their combat training in China as opposed to Japan. It's all that sort of thing. You have a layer of zombie on top of everything else. Yeah, the fact that they are, like, they include that little bit and then use it to talk about class dynamics in the film is brilliant and it really shows how much they understand the source material yeah i think it could have been really easy to just throw it all in but they still developed a complex world i mean this is mostly from the book i'm assuming but they still do a good job of having a complex and engrossing world that isn't as shallow as it could have been memory serves the book is much more a straight pride and prejudice retelling with zombies the whole like saint lazarus thing i don't think is in there the whole wickham is the antichrist thing i don't think is in there mm-hmm. i think it's pretty much just pride and prejudice with Instead of whatever, like, flu was sweeping the countryside at that point and taking people out, they were like, what if by the sickness, they meant zombies? Yeah, the movie's edition of zombie mythology is a thing that I'm not super huge on for it. I think it's, I mean, part parts of it are fun, but I think there are times when it gets a bit bogged down and I wish it was, like, the part where there's the four horse movie zombie apocalypse is a fun concept, but I think it's one level of wacky too much to add on top on top of all this yeah especially since the zombies here aren't quite like what you think of when you think of zombies they're more akin to like ghouls mm-hmm. they can stay sentient as long as they don't eat human brains if they have like cow brains then they're i mean fine-ish. even after they have they can remain sentient because like there was the zombie who set that trap for the sisters it allows the narrative to explore interesting concepts of assuming these zombies are monsters when actually there is some humanity left in them that's 
Fun. Yeah. Good job. Play with your themes. Yeah. Again, like playing around with some class dynamics. I also agree. <laughs> the film opens with kind of this alt history lesson explaining how we got to mm-hmm. the world that this is currently set in. And I really love the illustrations that they're using. Like they're very classically British children's book sort mm-hmm. of illustrations from like, like the newspaper cartoons at the time. Yeah, exactly. And they're it's really well done and it does a really good job of just kind of getting us all up to speed. I mean, they have Charles Dance doing the narration as well, which you can't go wrong. Yeah, you really can. In the second battle of Kent, one of the bridges across the Royal Canal was breached. Ravenous zombie hordes massacred every villager of the in-between. It was said the sight of this slaughter drove young King George mad. Yeah, we have Charles Dance as Mr. Bennett, and he's having a great time having to not be a villain for once. He's having a great time just being this, like, exasperated dad who doesn't care about the bullshit his wife cares about. Like, the, we gotta get husbands for them. He's like, I'm trying to keep them alive with karate. <laughs> and, and she's all like, they have to get husbands! And he's just, like, completely bemused and over it. Like, I'll be in the garage or whatever. Like, he's... He's basically Colin Firth from Easy Virtue. Pretty much. Um, that reference everyone gets. If you haven't seen Easy Virtue, please do. It feels a lot like your Jane Austen type books. It's really fun and has Colin Firth in it. The most well-known thing I can think of that has Colin Firth and feels like a Jane Austen novel. <laughs> Speaking of the Lannisters, uh, you also have Lena fucking Hetty as uh, Lady Catherine de Bourg, mm-hmm. who also having incredible fun. A falsehood of the most scandalous nature has reached me. That you intend to be united with my own nephew, Mr. Darcy. Is this true? In the book, Lady Catherine is just this incredibly rich lady here. She's incredibly rich and also kills zombies real good. And yeah. only has one eye. <laughs> and only has one eye. Yeah. She is considered the greatest swordswoman in all of England. At one point, Elizabeth Bennet says, For to take arms against you, milady, would be to take arms against England. And we are solidly in the height of the Game of Thrones popularity when this film comes out, so they knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And honestly, Lena Headey is also having a good time playing Cersei Lannister here. Yeah, like a way campier Cersei Lannister. <laughs> yeah. like. They both have pretty minor roles, probably because like their filming schedule was very limited, but both actors are used very well. Right. There's a great line where um, Parson Collins, played by Matt Smith, God. who's the one who's going to inherit the house, I mean, basically playing the most Matt Smith character <laughs> ever. Uh, it's like if they dialed 11 up to 11, <laughs> he proposes to Elizabeth and she turns him down. And her mom's like, if you don't marry him, I'll never speak to you. And he says the great lady, Your mother will never speak to you again if you do not marry Mr. Collins. And I will never speak to you again if you do. <laughs> the look on Sally Phillips is the name of the actress who plays Mrs. Bennett. She is great in this, too. The look on her face of just the floor falling out from under her. And she can't yell at him because of the time period. And it's just this like very quiet tantrum she suddenly has. <laughs> and then she yells at Elizabeth. She can yell at Elizabeth. But just the, like, Mr. Bennett has spoken. And the time period, it was she can't talk back to yeah. him about this. So she just has this very quiet tangent for a second and then starts yelling yeah, at Elizabeth. Yeah, her mouth just drops open yeah. to that, how dare you undermine me, but I can't do anything about yeah. it. It's not so much that Mr. Bennett would get shitty with his wife for talking back. It's just that she doesn't have it in her because yeah. her, the social taboos are so ingrained that she just physically cannot. Right, yeah. I didn't mean to imply that like Mr. Bennett would do anything if she did. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> like, she could yell at him all she wants to. Like, we're dealing care. with a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. The aristocracy stuff it could just go. Which uh, fits his character in the book as well, but now they have a concrete reason, but you know, the zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, also... 
I can't let us walk away without talking about... I'm afraid Jane is already spoken for. We expect a serious proposal imminently. Oh, fuddle. Matt Smith is just having so much fun as this very silly character. The second best version of this character. I mean, character there's a point still. at a ball where he and Elizabeth are dancing, and it's like, this is before he proposes to her. And at one point, he starts talking about like the marital bed in the way of a parson of the church who's never had sex before and is going to get to once they get married and he is psyched about it and wants to talk about that and, but they're at a party in the middle of a dance with a bunch of people it was like parson may no longer lead a chaste life my fair cousin mr collins please keep your voice down please keep your voice down jesus one criticism i do have of this film is that there are a number of scenes that definitely have the male gaze going on mm -hmm. there's this scene where the Bennett sisters are suiting up to go to a party, but they have to cross through zombie infested territory. So they're putting on garters and corsets and like ankle knives and <laughs> a bazooka <laughs> and thigh shotguns. <laughs> Shurikens. I will say that most of those scenes are pretty contained. It's not a consistent like male gaze thing going on. It, honestly, it feels like we're going to shoot these shots so we can put them in the trailer to get more mm -hmm. men to come to the theater because Pride and Prejudice is not typically... Uh, I know what you mean. Yeah, I hated like, it in high school. I wouldn't have gone to see yeah. this movie. Yeah. Like Pride and Pre Prejudice probably does not pull very well with uh, men of a certain age. To some extent, looking at it, having seen this a few times... I feel like part of this was also like, haha, get it? It's like Victorian dresses that they're like, they've got all these garments, they're like slapping weapons on everywhere under it. And like, I, it, that doesn't, like, it definitely was. Oh, yeah. I feel like part of it was also like the, the, instead of just like, here's my holster belt and here's like an ankle knife, yeah. whatever, it was like under this enormous Victorian dress I've also got under my blunder bustle. <laughs> yeah, like the inherent silliness of the juxtaposition of mm -hmm. like these high regency fashions mm -hmm. and the like utilitarianness of all of these weapons. It still did scream stick it. There's a long-standing tradition of an element of the male gaze being hot women with weapons. There's some critique about like the way people talk about say Arya Stark or River Tam as a certain form of male fantasy. Oh yeah, like, um, I'm not saying you know women with weapons can't still be empowering and all that jazz. There's a milk is overlap there. Oh yeah, there's a definite reason why the NRA employs a number of hot women to try and talk about the evils of gun laws or at gun shows you have booth babes. I do mm. like that the film, by and large, they're what we do have the suit the montage like the, but yeah. by and large they keep a lot of the hot women with weapons sexualization to Jane and Elizabeth, the two older daughters, because right. the younger couple daughters, two or three, they're pretty young. Famously, that's the whole thing with Wickham, where he runs away with like the youngest daughter who's thirteen or something, and he's a monster because he did that. I mean, he's also a monster for a different reason in this movie, mm -hmm. but like that's part of it is like. The Jane and Elizabeth are the oldest, and then like mm. the, it gets a little more uncomfortable the farther down the sister line you go. Yeah, mm. and I guess while we're talking about just weapons, pretty good fight scenes. Like oh, yeah. this movie has some like really fun fight scenes of, of a nice variety. Like you get some like two humans fighting with swords. You also have just you know zombie fights, all that jazz. There's a sword fight between Wickham with a, like a cavalry saber and Darcy with a katana. <laughs> I, uh... It's that kind of movie. I do like that, uh, with the exception of like that scene, the fights in Prime Person Zombies are much more like visceral because it's like 
fighting for your life, like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, it's a lot more choreography, like Matrix. Uh, you mentioned Underworld. Yes. Was uh, It reminded you of that with the color saturation and the choreography. Prime Person's always, they do have some like clearly sort of choreographed stab here and then slice here and then like end in like a pose, but it's a lot more of just like stabbing and hacking it and cutting. It feels much more like a kung fu movie type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just much less choreography and a lot more visceral. Like there are times where like, ooh, it's like a person yeah. got knocked down. Yeah. There are a lot of added effects and people getting like thrown across rooms. And also a lot of the fighting happens in like these really closed quarters. Mm-hmm. A lot of it happens in the basement of the Bennett home. They have this great running gag where characters who are having an argument in the book are translated to characters having arguments but also they're literally fighting with swords my favorite scene one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is they're doing Jane Austen accurate dialogue while the Bennett sisters are practicing kung fu in the basement they're sparring in the basement while talking about like haha you like Mr. Darcy don't you don't you Lizzie but like in the actual Jane Austen dialogue from the book while they're like trying to punch the shit oh, yeah. each other it's great Vanity and pride are different things, though the words are often used synonymously. Perhaps it make me proud without being vain. Pride relates more to our opinion of ourselves than vanity to what we would have others think of us. A lot of the dialogue from the book that's supposed to be fun is either translated into a fight scene to mm-hmm. make it more interesting or they go the opposite direction they take the witty repartee between these characters and turn it farcical i love that that's the way they're accentuating that to, to just make it really pop like the uh, darcy elizabeth fight the first time he proposes to her <laughs> i did everything in my power to separate my friend from your sister oh! how could you because I perceived his attachment to her to be far deeper than hers to him. I believed her to be indifferent. Indifferent? She's shy! Uh, they also do a fun thing where they'll translate classic lines from Pride and Prejudice into the zombie version of that thing. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a zombie in possession of brains must be in want of more brains. I would love a version of this film that you could turn on the subtitles and there would be two different colors. Mm -hmm. One color for everything that was exact dialogue from the book Mm -hmm. and one where the colors changed for added material. I actually really love this scene. Liz is like staying at Jane's love interest. Yeah, hold on, I know it. Bingley, Mr. Bingley. Bingley. That's a very silly name. Liz is staying at Bingley's estate because Jane is sick and they can't travel back. And like Bingley has friends over and they're talking about their studies Mm -hmm. in Japan. And uh, I think at one point they start talking in Japanese and Liz is like, oh, I I don't know Japanese, but I trained at Shaolin Temple. The Hunan province. Yeah, Shaolin Temple in the Hunan province. And, you know, they're they're being shitty towards her. Sun Tzu comes up and... She grabs the Art of War. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's she, going to read that. Like, that's her nighttime reading was the Art of War. Yeah, yeah. She grabs, like, Sun Tzu's Art of War off the shelf and, like, Darcy comments on it. L'art de la guerre. The Art of War. Have you not read it in its original Wu dialect? Alas. And then she says in Chinese, well, then you've never read The Art of War. <laughs> and Bingley loves that shit. <laughs> Bingley is on it. Like... He, he's in love with Jane, but he is here for Elizabeth Bennett, just having time for nobody's bullshit. Yeah. He knows that he's not on her level, yeah. and so he just decided <clears throat> to stand her instead. It's kind of like every take on What You Know Nothing, where he knows they're going to do it, and he's just like along for the ride until they get there. Uh, I will say, while I love the dialogue stuff, a lot of that's in the first part of the movie, and it kind of fades away as it gets into like, the plot and the meets mm-hmm. where they're having adventures and stuff, and I kind of wish that had stayed around for the plot, and the mm-hmm. adventures don't 
feel like Pride and Prejudice anymore. It just feels like a historical zombie flick. Yeah, the last act, there's very little Pride and Prejudice and it's mostly kind of its own thing because they have to like go to England and save the youngest sister from St. Lazarus, the, like the zombie church, and they have to get across the bridge before they blow it and mm. all that sort of weird stuff. Honestly, a more accurate Pride and Prejudice take with zombies would need to be a miniseries, I feel like, because Pride and Prejudice is so much episodic oh, yeah. of like, this is the chat, this is the section where this adventure happens, and this by this adventure, I mean like, they run into Mr. Darcy in town, or whatever, like it's, mm-hmm. as a movie, it would just feel like three episodes of a television show, so it almost would need to just be a miniseries, so you're not like, okay, this is just another random episode. The walking quietly around the room is dead. I mean, we've definitely talked about that on the podcast before, how there's a lot of books that would translate better as miniseries than they would as films, just mm-hmm. because the act structure does not work. It'd be like The Dark Knight, where every like 30 minutes you're like, oh, it's not over. Okay. Not like in a bad way, <laughs> yeah. necessarily, but just like, okay, that's it. That's the natural wrap-up conclusion. Oh, 40 more minutes. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not bad. It's, I think it could have been stronger there. There's also just too many characters mm-hmm. to some extent. I mean, there's five Bennett daughters. Name them. Eliza, Jane, Kitty... Lucy and Zendaya's Beachy. You did it. <laughs> Fifty minutes in. I thought I had the joke. Um, but my point is, all of the daughters are characters to some extent, mm-hmm. but they're not in this one because we have them. We have Mr. Parson Collins. We have Wickham. We have Bingley. We have Darcy. We have Jane yeah. and Elizabeth. We have Catherine de Burgh. We have so many characters that we're trying to like keep track of that a lot of them yeah. just kind of, here we are, and then they go away and never really... Like when Wickham runs away with uh, Lydia, I think is the youngest one, it's like, oh my god, he ran away with our youngest daughter who you saw for like... 10 full minutes in this movie, maybe. Isn't that horrible? Don't you care? Yeah, that's one thing that this film does not do very well is juggle an ensemble cast. And lots of films don't do a good job exactly. of that. It's, I mean, it's yeah. hard to. And again, that's easier in a mini series because mm-hmm. you can have more focused episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. They're constrained by the fact that these are written into a book. And admittedly, I couldn't give you the personalities of the characters weren't Jane and Elizabeth. The actresses who are playing those daughters are definitely older than they mm. like should be, and I think that was a way to make it less noticeable that they did that, is just no, to kind yeah. of and have, I, have I them off-screen a lot. I mean, from what I remember of The Pride and Prejudice, they were basically like the boy-crazy younger siblings anyway, mm. but they got more screen time, I guess, page time, mm. so that when Wickham like, ran away with her, you were like, beyond just the fact, like, God, she's like, that's gross. She's like 13. It was like, oh shit, their younger sister who's been in the book that we've seen and like not grown to care about so much as like recognizing like, oh, okay, like this is important. This point it was just at the end, it was just like, he, it could have literally been anybody. Like it could have been the neighbor that we yeah. never met. By establishing them as like the boy crazy, you understand why Lydia would run off with him. Mm-hmm. Like the end, like the promise of, you know, adventure and a life together and all that mm-hmm. stuff. The OG book, they have kind of their thing. Like one of them plays piano really well or whatever. Or there's really time for that in this because we also have to have zombie fights. They could have easily done it if they get, had if everyone had a signature weapon. Yeah, that actually be really you good. Know, I almost likened them to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at one point <laughs> just because they each had their own kind of thing as us, as siblings. And then I didn't because I thought maybe that would be too far. But now you're bringing up signature weapons, so I'm back around to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wow, Lizzie's the Wrath. Mm-hmm. Lizzie's definitely the Wrath. I don't know, like it's just an interesting take on the, the Raphael. She's not as hot-headed and <laughs> impulsive. Mm-hmm. So does that does that make Bingley April O'Neil? Because Jane would be Leonardo 
And didn't they have it? Wasn't that the thing? Was no, the Mikey was always the one who was. Oh, well, yeah, but I mean, who actually had a thing? <laughs> Doesn't matter. I mean, Lydia is the Mikey. She ran away with this weekend. She's, <laughs> she's the Mikey. <laughs> that makes Darcy, I mean, Casey. Casey yeah, Jones, which that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> Should we talk about Sam Riley as Mr. Darcy? He's fine. Good talk. So, <laughs> His hair is bad. Like, Sam Riley, pretty looking guy. They, they make him look like. Though, I mean, he's an incel. He has strong incel vibes, yeah. Yeah, like he has Big this. Energy. He has this really cool leather waistcoat, though, that he even wears to the wedding at the end of the film. Everyone else is wearing white, and I really wish they would have changed it to white leather. <laughs> so good. I like him as Mr. Darcy. I think that he plays aloof very well. Yeah. And every time Elizabeth enters the room, he does an amazing job of like very awkwardly getting up before everyone else. <laughs> People are like, "Oh yeah, I didn't even notice that he was in love with her." And I was like. You weren't really paying attention because yeah. it was not that subtle. I like him. I definitely agree that he has bad hair. It does not work. It does not work aesthetically. It does work for the character, though, yes. because he's kind of like disheveled. He's haggard. He's constantly having to do shit. <laughs> he's Columbo, zombie hunter. Oh, God. You're, You're kind of right. One thing I think is kind of weird. Like, they established that zombies are like sentient and can and have a way to still be people. But then at the end, it's just like, we got to fight them all. There's not like a reconciliation or and like. Specifically because. Because Darcy feeds them all human brains to turn them that way. And there's never any remorse shown or comeuppance for doing that. He just took away hundreds of people's agency. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Arguably, they were aligned with the Antichrist. There maybe could have been some middle ground between, like... <laughs> Are you an Antichrist centrist? I didn't think I was. Um... <laughs> when we get into, like, some of the mechanics of zombies and sentience and how they're treated, it definitely gets weird. <laughs> As I was talking about earlier about how like there's like one level of world building too much in this movie. That could have been a really interesting thing to explore in a movie that isn't also, you know, Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. I love how all the men are useless in this movie. Mm. Generally, like... Well, yeah, it's a Jane Austen novel. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> there's the bit where they're at the ball that Bingley is throwing and they find the cook dead. <laughs> we must find Darcy immediately. There's no time. Yes, right. Yeah, of course. Yes. Uh, he just like picks up an axe or whatever. Like, yes, I'll, I'll lead the way. Here we go. <laughs> he has no idea what the fuck he's doing. I've seen Abraham Lincoln Vaporantra. I know how to use this. There's a lot more to unpack, but I think these movies are better as just like having a fun time thing. Neither of these movies is trying to be like the post or whatever. They don't need to be. Neither of these films is trying to be Oscar bait, but I definitely think that they borrow from Oscar bait to elevate some of the like historical themes. Right. They're putting in the work, even though they're fully aware of and gleeful about the fact that they're kind of still silly genre. The films are smart, but they are not trying for prestige. I don't agree with Mike that I think that Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter is a better movie. I think the world building wants it being more cohesive. I think there's like a lot of role building in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, but I think that it falls apart the further you go, whereas Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter gives us his rules and just sticks with them. For me, it's more that, and I don't mean this as like a knock against it, because I'm always mm-hmm. a fan of just gleefully going for it. And that's what Pride and Prejudice and Zombie does. I think Abraham Lincoln's Vampire Hunter is a better movie because they played a little straighter while still, I mean, the action scenes we've talked about, those, those not that's not subtle or underplayed. And that's kind of the point, I guess. But they never once, like, I guess once, they kind of look at the audience and wink a little bit when he tries to tell Mary that he hunts vampires, and she doesn't believe him, and then she says, You? You know, I thought you were an honest man. Really? It's like, about the one time they kind of wink at us cheekily, 
And I th- I like that about that movie is that they just they get in their world and they stick with it. And I don't dislike Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I think it's the better monster movie for sure. I just think Abe's better because it plays it straighter. I'm gonna <laughs> be the counter opinion. I actually preferred Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I think there's just for me there was a little bit too much dissonance between the two halves of Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Mm-hmm between like these really ridiculous like superhero movie-esque fights and historical and political drama going on during the day. I don't ever feel that the film kind of really connected those two pieces terribly well. It was kind of, this is one thing, this is another, and they just happen to be in the same movie. Whereas I think Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is more cohesive. They weren't trying to marry two different Hunter by Day warrior by night betrayed yeah. by the humans he was sworn to protect yeah I, I think the like the insertion of zombies was more holistic in ppz than the introduction of vampires was in abraham lincoln i think those are a lot of words that are never in the history of time been in the same sentence as the word holistic so i am as a person yeah that's the content your listeners crave it's true honestly i'm pretty sure it is <laughs> if they're still listening to it by now <laughs> Uh, I said I think they're both incredibly fun and oh, yeah. good. You know, while I might quibble some stuff, they're both very watchable. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I love both these movies. Both Don't great, make wrong. a great double feature. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of fun when we watched them. We <clears> have <throat> one more guaranteed episode coming out this year. We're Jax and I are definitely going to talk about Frozen Two. After that, I think it's just we might do an episode here or there, but we probably won't be back until next year with our next bracket. Mm-hmm. I have vague thoughts of like a Christmas special, but. We should probably go ahead and announce that bracket since we haven't done it on air yet. Oh, yeah. So the astute listeners have noticed we did a sports bracket. So, you know, the jocks, a comics bracket. So the nerds, a monster bracket. So the goths. So we're going to hit the last part of that axis with prep movies. That's right. We're doing movies that are set in preparatory schools and and boarding schools. What are those movies? Who knows? I've heard of one of them. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll probably be talking about things like uh, Dead Poet Society. I think Saved might have made it onto the bracket. They'll be starting up next year. Thanks for tuning in to the Producers Pausing Podcast. Splendid work, everyone. Thank you for your attention. I will say one last thing that I made a note of for Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter because I won't let this go was when they introduced Harriet Tubman and I just saw this like it's like oh a historical figure very young attractive black woman the first thought in my head I, I misnamed that character but the first thought in my head was the CW presents Sojourner Truth and then I just got really uncomfortable with how that show would be because <laughs> I don't trust the CW to do it.